Praise God, it is Tuesday. Our day when Ian and myself come into your homes, your cell groups, and perhaps even into your churches. It is the highlight of our week when we share God's word with you. And before I minister this morning, Ian is going to say good morning to you. Come in. Good morning, everyone. I hope you're really blessed by our ministry and um, what God is doing through um, Pastor Joe and myself. Amen. Or should I say Dr. Joe? Amen. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Praise the Lord. We're going to continue with that topic, the baptism into the Holy Spirit. And this morning we're talking on a very, very vital topic concerning the baptism. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16 and 17. I'll wait a moment while you get your Bible. And let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. And I'm taking my reading from the King James Version. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator lives. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. With every blessing, I firmly believe there comes a responsibility. In my understanding, it is the living out of the responsibilities that the blessing brings that makes the blessing a reality. It has often been said this way, we receive blessings from God in order to be a blessing to others. Yes, the baptism into the Holy Spirit has manifold blessings and yet it is accompanied with many responsibilities. And to live out the purposes of the baptism into the Holy Spirit, we had to discover all the purposes of the baptism. Thank God, as I always say, for the speaking of tongues. But if that is all we do, then sadly, we are falling short of the blessings and responsibilities that the baptism into the Holy Spirit brings. I am of the persuasion that God does not willy-nilly pour out the Spirit. By pouring out His Holy Spirit upon you and I, He, our God, is showing confidence and trust in us. What is Jesus entrusting you and I with? Jesus is entrusting you and I with his will and testament. His last will and testament. And let me say this. It is one thing to have faith in God. But it is another thing for God to have faith in you and I. The cry of our Lord as his eye scans the earth is for faithful servants and handmaidens that will live out the responsibilities that the baptism into the Holy Spirit brings. And oh, 
how our God longs to reiterate those famous words. Have you considered my servant Job with the change of name? Have you considered my servant Peter? Have you considered my servant Reggie? Have you considered my servant Aubrey? Have you considered my handmaiden Angela? Or whosoever. God had faith in Job. God had confidence in Job. God trusted Job. Oh yes. We do have faith in God. However, however, does God have faith in you and I? Like I said, it is one thing for God, for us to have faith in God. It's another thing for God to have faith in you and I. I believe categorically, most definitely, that God has faith in you and I. God has faith in His church. He trusts us. He, says he has confidence in you and I to carry out His last will and testament. Let me read our scripture again. Hebrews 9, 16 and 17. For where there is testament, for where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator lives. Let me now briefly explain some very important words of the text we have read. And I'm using the online uh, 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 dictionary. The online dictionary. For the word testament, this is what it says. Last will, disposing of property, a will, publication of a will. Also used in reference of the Bible with two divisions, and that being the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament being written in Hebrew, and the New Testament being written in Greek. And both these languages carry the meaning of a covenant, dispensation, and will, and testament. Now, let us see what the strong concordance, that is the Greek strong concordance, says about the word testament. And the number that we read thereof is 1242 from number 1303. And the Greek word means there, properly a disposition that is specially a contract, especially a divisory will, covenant, testament. Amen? Now, let us look at the word testator using the English Assistance UK Dictionary. Testator means a man with a valid, a man with a valid will, somebody, especially a man, who has made a legal valid will. Now, let us go now to the Greek concordance for the word testator. And the number there is 1303, and it's middle voice from 1223 and 5087, and it means to put apart, that is, figuratively, disposed by assignment, compact, or bequeath. Appoint, make, testator. Now, before we begin to explain how we as a church relate to the world and last testament of our testator Jesus Christ, we need to consider the need for the New Testament.
Let me repeat myself. Before we begin to understand how we relate to the world and Lord's testament of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we have to consider why there was a drastic need for a new covenant. Why is the old covenant done away with? This is vital. We have to know and understand why it was totally necessary to do away with the Old Testament and introduce the New Testament. You know, people changed their worlds and lost testaments. And no doubt they changed their worlds and testaments because they find the first will ineffective. Circumstances have come about making it necessary to formulate a new will and testament as such for their families and loved ones. Now, why was the Old Testament covenant done away with? Let's hear what the scripture says. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6 and 7. But now had ye obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. Let's read Galatians 2.3 now. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Amen. The Old Testament was based on works and not on faith. And therefore, it had to be done away with. God the Father, through His only begotten Son, led of the Spirit of God and empowered by the Spirit of God, introduced a better covenant based on grace and faith and not on the law and works. Hear what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen? Those scriptures clearly indicate that there was a drastic need for a new covenant. The old covenant was nothing else but a schoolmaster. In simple terms, it pointed us to the better covenant that Jesus Christ was going to introduce. The old covenant was a covenant of works. And these works that men had promised to do as such unto God in no way could justify them because if they broke one iota of the law, they broke the entire law. Amen. Now, both these covenants, no doubt, are certified by the sprinkling of blood. The first, no doubt, was the blood of animals sprinkled upon the book and upon the people. But in the second covenant, it's the blood of Jesus that certifies the covenant as such. Now, I want to bring your attention to Galatians chapter 2 verse 3. 
Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. What this simply meant was this. As we studied the law, as we applied the law to our life, the commandments of God, we surely discovered that as we endeavored to keep the law, we had no power whatsoever within ourselves to keep and to honor the law. We failed miserably, and we cried like Paul cried, Who and what can deliver me from this body of sin? In no way could we keep the law. And the law was the schoolmaster in this sense. It showed us clearly that God was holy. It showed us clearly that God was perfect in all His ways. But it also showed us that in no way could we be holy as our God. And therefore, our sins had separated us from the mercy and the love of God. In no way could we keep the law. We had no way possible within us, no capabilities whatsoever to keep the law. And by this the law showed us we were inadequate and therefore it, point, it pointed to Christ who was more than able to keep the law. Amen. And when we accept Christ, we fulfill the law because in Christ the law was fulfilled. Amen. What happens is this. The law as a schoolmaster showed us it was impossible for you and I to keep the law. We failed miserably. But it pointed us to Christ that we might be justified not by the works of the law, but by the works of faith. And what it means simply there is this. We put our faith in Christ who was the only person who could keep the law. He said to, to mankind, he said to the Pharisees, to everyone, who of you can accuse me of sin? So Jesus is the only person that kept the law. And by putting faith in Christ, we have kept the law in and through Christ. Amen. So it is finished. The law is over and the new dispensation has come your way and my way. And that's a dispensation of grace and the dispensation of faith. So the law is nothing else but a schoolmaster. Amen. Now listen what Hebrews 8 had said. But now he had obtained a more excellent ministry. But how much also is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. I'm not saying <laughs> that the law was imperfect. No, the law was perfect. Because the law revealed the perfect God who is holy. But in this sense, the law was imperfect. It was imperfect to you and I because we could not keep the law. And because we could not keep the law, therein was the fault of the law. Amen? Because you and I could not keep the law, therein was the fault of the law. It couldn't make us perfect like our God. The Word of God says, Be ye holy, for your God is holy. 
But the law showed us that although our God was holy, the law of God could not make us holy because our hearts were intent towards sin and failure. And that is why there was a need for a better covenant. The first covenant could not perfect man, but the second covenant can perfect man. Amen. Because we are justified, amen, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. This is but the introduction this morning to our teaching on the testator and the executors of the will of God. We will continue next week with the subject, amen, of you being an executor of the will of God. We've dealt with the testament, we've dealt with the testator. Now you know, whenever a will is made, whenever the last will and testament is made, no doubt the testator draws up the will. He itemizes every, every facet, every clause of the world. He bequeaths his property to whosoever he desires to receive it. But other than that, he also appoints an executor to the world. And the responsibility of the executor who the testator appoints is to see that the will and last testament of the testator is carried out. Now, I'm here to tell you, Church of God, I'm here to encourage you to let you know that we have a better covenant. The New Testament is better than the Old because the Old was but a schoolmaster that pointed us to the New as such. We have a testator, and that is Jesus Christ. And you know what? He has appointed the executor. He's appointed the executor, the Holy Ghost, to see that the world that is the word and last testament of himself, Jesus Christ, is carried out. Amen. And other than that, I read the scripture that says that this New Testament, it has better, better promises. Now, how do you, how do I, as the church, relate to these scriptures? How do you and I relate to the New Testament? How do, you, how do you and I relate to the testator? How do you and I relate to the executor? Who is the executor of the Godhead? It's none other than the Spirit of God. And we have a relationship with the Spirit of God through the baptism into the Spirit. And next week, I want to bring to you the blessing that God brings through the baptism into the Spirit. How did you and I relate to the executor, the Holy Ghost. Amen. The, the executor of the will of God. The executor of all God's actions towards man. We're going to discover what role we play in this. I trust that this brief teaching has awakened your interest into the baptism, into the spirit. And we're going to discover the better promises and what part you play in it. Maybe I will leave you with this thought. You know what? My brother and my sister, servant of God and handmaiden of God, young woman and young men, do you know that through the baptism into the Spirit that you and I become little executors of the will of God? I'm going to show you next week 
how you and I relate to the scriptures that I've read this morning. God bless you. And once again, once again, in and I pray that God will take this word that we shared with you this morning and make it a blessing to you that you truly will understand your relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, the dictator of the will of God. God bless you, and we see you next week. Amen.